Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are going to study the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 29, that's the Navi Echeskel, Tess. And this we are continuing the series of prophecies where Ezekiel addresses the other nations. He addressed, uh, we just completed three chapters where he discussed the nation of Tyre. And now he's going to move on to Egypt. Uh, it's not um, coincidental that he goes in this order from Tyre to Egypt. As we know historically, after the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the nation of Tyre for approximately 13 years and un- were not able to actually conquer Tyre, but they did, ma- they did sign an agreement making Tyre into a vassal kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar then turned his attention to Egypt and in several major battles defeated Egypt, although did not manage to destroy Egypt. So we're going to see all of this history reflected in the chapter that we read today and the next two chapters as well. The Pharaoh at the time is Pharaoh Apres, and he had wanted to sign an alliance with Judah against the Babylonians. When Judah fell, Pharaoh was left on his own. As we also would remember from the book of Jeremiah, Pharaoh did attempt to relieve the nation of Judah and attack the, the Babylonians, but he was driven back during that time. And this is exactly when this prophecy is being said by Ezekiel, which we'll see in a moment, the time when the Egyptians attacked um, the Babylonians, the, the Babylonians had to remove their siege of Jerusalem to turn their attention and fight Egypt and drive them back to Egypt. Uh, So that was a short moment of reprieve that we had studied in Jeremiah where the siege was lifted and the people thought they were going to be saved. And unfortunately, what they did at the time was revert to their evil ways and God allowed the Egyptians to be driven back and the Babylonians to come back and complete the siege and destroy Jerusalem. So today, Ezekiel is now in Babylon saying these prophecies with no real access to all of this information other than what he might have heard through messengers and so on. So let's begin. In the 10th year, and as we mentioned, these dates are all dated from the Golis Yehoyachin, from the exile of King Yehoyachin to Babylon, um, who is now living under the protection of the Babylonian kingdom. So in the 10th year, and this dates to exactly that year where the Egyptians attempted unsuccessfully to relieve the siege in Jerusalem. Bo'asiri on the 10th day, Bishnei Masol HaChodesh, on the 12th day of the month. Uh, I'm sorry, but it's just repetitive. It's the 10th year, the 10th year, the 12th day of the month. Um, in the 10th month, the 12th day of the month, sorry. The word of God to me was as follows. Ben Adam, human being. I want you to turn your attention now to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. I want you to speak regarding him, the Al-Mitzrayim Kula, and regarding the entire nation of Egypt. The, the idea that the king brings down all of the leadership, brings down all of the people along with him, is going to be central to this chapter. Verse 3, Daber, speak, the Amarta, and I want you to say as follows. Ko Amar Adonai so says the Lord God. Hinani Alecha, Paro Melch Mitzrayim. I am now turning my attention to you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Hatanim Hagadol, you that great crocodile. As we know from the time the Egyptians 
um, deified the crocodile, and the many pharaohs considered themselves to be uh, uh, related to the crocodile god. And the crocodile is, of course, a symbol of uh, a fierce strength and obviously very ubiquitous in the Nile Delta region. So God is calling Pharaoh the great crocodile. Harovets besochi orov, that crocodile that crouches inside the river, that, that, that sneaks along inside his river, the Nile. Asher Omar Li, that you, I'm sorry, Asher Omar, that what did you as the crocodile say? You said, Li Ori, this river is mine, fa'ani asitini, and I was the one who made it. Now this is the key point here, that Pharaoh had it, let it get to his head, as if he was the creator of the Nile, and he was the owner of the river, and he was the creator of the river, and obviously God was, not him. He let it get to his head. What am I going to do? I'm going to drag you out with hooks. I, I'm guessing this is, this is um, kind of uh, demonstrating a way that they used to hunt crocodiles. They would use large hooks and throw and grasp the crocodile with hooks and pull it out of the river. So God is saying, that's what I'm going to do to you, Pharaoh. I'm going to pull you out of, out of Egypt. And all of the fish of the river, which uh, Rashi thinks is, represents the, the, um, his troops and soldiers. Uh, the Radak means it, and I like the Radak's explanation a little better. He says this refers to all of the people of Egypt, the, all of the fish that just kind of like when we have the image of the lion as the king of the forest, you can imagine the crocodile as the king of the river, and all of his creatures are going to be hauled out with him. They will all be stuck to your scales, and they're going to be dragged out with you. And I am going to raise you out of your river. And all of the, all of the animals that live in the water with you because they're all going to be stuck to you. In other words, I'm dragging you along with your whole country, along with you. I'm going to throw you into the desert, the dry desert. So obviously that's a place where the crocodile won't be able to prosper anymore. And your entire country, all your people, you will fall in the fields. No one will bother gathering you up from the desert. No one will no one will collect you. You'll just be there for the animals to eat. And the birds of the sky and the vultures and you'll be as food for them. And all of the residents of Egypt will then know it is I, God, that made the river, not the king of Egypt. But here's a, another key thing. We had, if you recall, from the book of Isaiah, um, the same phrase that we're about to read was used, Isaiah 36, 6. And there, um, if you look back at my podcast, back in Isaiah 36, I discussed how Egypt was compared to a mishenet kone, which is a, a staff, a support staff, but one that's made out of reeds. As you imagine, if you want a staff to walk with that supports you, you need a strong one. One that's made out of reeds is the image the prophets use for someone that you want to depend on, but they're in, you can't, they're not dependable. They don't keep their promises. Whenever the, when the going gets tough and you lean on the stick, it snaps. And this is the history of Egypt with Judah. Judah kept on looking to Egypt. Egypt kept on making promises. 
but never ever kept their promises. Never, they always they always failed somehow. Either they, they the, the effort wasn't strong enough, or they just went back on their promises. So Egypt is called so because you were such an unreliable partner to the people of Israel. Therefore, because you never kept your word, you never kept your your agreements. Therefore, it is time for you to to meet this unfortunate fate. When they grasp you as the staff in there, when they grasped for you for help, um, you, would, you would splinter um, and just smash, as the stick would just smash. And, and what would happen? They would break their shoulders. This is the image of a person holding on to a staff when he needs help and it, and it gives way and it, he, he breaks his shoulder. Whenever they would lean upon you, you would just break. You would make their, all of their joints be uh, unstable because they tried to depend on you but you were unreliable. Therefore, this is verse 8. Because, so we've learned so far two of the flaws of the Egyptians. One was arrogance and haughtiness and of the king believing that he's a god, that he's the one that's in control, that he's the one that created everything. And the second was his unreliability. He made promises and never kept them. People relied on him and, and he, was, he was unsteady and, and he did not um, fulfill his obligations. therefore So says the Lord God, I'm going to bring sword against you. And I will destroy from you your people and your animals. The land of Egypt will be desolate and destroyed. And you will know that I am the Lord God. Why? God makes it very clear. Because he said, Because he had the audacity to say that this is my river and I am the creator of this river. When he stepped into that arrogance, God says, that's it. That I can't handle. Therefore, again, it's a bit repetitive, but we'll just read through this. I am coming against you, against your rivers, and I'm going to make the land of Egypt as a place of destruction, desolate destruction. From Migdol, which we know is a city in Egypt, to Sain, which is another region, uh, presumably on another side of Egypt. The Ad Givol Kush, all the way to the border of Kush, which is generally transferred Ethiopia or Nubia, it's somewhere in modern day Sudan. So the entire Egypt. Human beings won't walk through the place anymore. And the legs of animals, like domesticated animals, will no longer be there. For 40 years, Egypt will be desolate. This idea of 40 years is really. Oh, the prophet's way of saying that this destruction won't last forever. There will be in Egypt, as opposed to other nations, which he said get wiped off the face of the earth forever, as we saw with Ammon. Egypt, he's going to say, is 40 years, meaning it's not specific to 40 years. 40 years is a, is a manner of speech of saying, for a while, you'll, you'll be down, but you'll come back, but just not as big as before. When Asatiya Saretz Mitzrayim Shimama. I'm going to make um, Egypt desolate. It's going to be among the lands that are destroyed. And the cities of Egypt will be desolated and decimated uh, among the other cities that are like that. For 40 years, and Egyptians will be taken off in exile to other nations. I will scatter them in other lands. 
This is verse 13, because so says the Lord God, at the end of those 40 years, I will regather Egypt. Egypt will reconstitute itself from the other nations that it became some Serbian to and where they were scattered to. And people will come back. Egyptians will come back to the land of Egypt. And I am going to bring them back to the land of Pathros, which is... And we find several times in the Bible another name synonymous with the land of Egypt. El Eretz Mechurasam, to the land where uh, they have their origin. The Egyptians will come back. However, they will be a lowly, humble kingdom. Hopefully, God, the point is, one that has learned its lesson. From all of the nations around, it's going to be the lowliest one. At this point in time, Egypt was thought to be the most powerful one. In the end, they lost in the battle to Nebuchadnezzar, as we mentioned before, to the Babylonians. But this is before that happened. Ezekiel is now prophesying about that. So to st- stand up in the world and call the most mighty nation on in known civilization and say that they're going to be a lowly nation, one of the little ones, is kind of audacious on the part of, of the prophet. And that the last verse in this chapter, which we'll read soon, God says, because you made this prophecy, people will know that you're for real, because it's quite audacious to say something like this. You will no longer rule over the other nations. I'm going to lower you. Why? So that you should no longer be able to oppress other nations around you. No longer will the people of Israel be able to turn to you and try to rely on you. The people of Israel constantly, throughout the, pro- the times of the prophets, kept on, instead of looking to God, instead of praying, and instead of um, listening to the prophets' advice, were constantly looking to Egypt for help. And as we said before, Egypt constantly dropped the ball. But not once you become a lowly nation, they will no longer even look in the first place. Um, and to be something that's a mazkir avon, which just reminds them of their sin. By looking to you, they... They made a mistake. They had, the, they had the strength, like the prophet said, to look to God, to live the kind of life that they were supposed to, in which case they would have had what they needed. But every time they looked to Egypt, they, they learned from the corruption of Egypt. They learned from the bad habits of Egypt, which is going to be the focus of the next chapter. Every time they turned after Egypt, that's what happened. That I am the Lord God. Now, there's another date here, and the next several verses are quite interesting because as we mentioned before the the babylonians had laid siege to tyre and there was a long battle tyre was was devastated but not conquered and then they they capitulated by signing an agreement making themselves vassals but nebuchadnezzar lost and the babylonians lost uh, with no way to know how many but thousands upon thousands of soldiers and so on in this battle after his unsuccessful attempt at taking over tyre he then turned his attention to Egypt. If you remember, the prophet had predicted the destruction of Tyre, which never actually occurred. So, in other words, never actually occurred in the exact way that he described it. So here, the uh, king of, of Babylon then turns to Egypt, and Ezekiel prophesies as follows, on the 27th year, so we're talking about 17 years later, than the prophecy he made before. On the first month, in the first day of the month, the word of God to me was as follows. Ben Adam, human being, 
Nebuchadrezzar Melech Babel, the king of Babylon, he has devastated his armies by trying to do so much against Tyre. Kol Rosh Mukrach, every head is rubbed bald. The shoulders and others, his shoulders are exhausted. His shoulders, his armies are devastated by, by this long, long siege that was ultimately unsuccessful. And he wasn't successful. He never managed. He didn't get the payment he wanted. He wanted the city of Tyre, and he never really got it. Ulechelo into his army mitzar from Tsar. He didn't get what he wanted from Tyre. With all of that work that he did, he didn't get it. Therefore, Lachain, verse 19, so says the Lord God. Instead, I'm going to give Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the land of Egypt. So now he's going to take this army, which is exhausted, attack Egypt, and win. And then he will be able to get all the treasures from Egypt, and he will be able to get all the booty of Azaz, Biza, and all of the spoils. And this is how he'll be able to pay his armies. It's almost like Nebuchadnezzar had to do this. He was probably facing potential mutiny from his troops that were sick and tired of this long battle without getting all those wealthy things that they were hoping to get once they conquered Tyre. So he says, okay, we'll go to Egypt, we'll get it from there. And, but in Egypt, he will be successful and he'll be able to pay off his soldiers so everyone will be happy, except the Egyptians, obviously. Pula Soasher of all of the work that he did there, Nosati Lo I'm going to give him from the land of Egypt, Asher Asuli Noom Adonai, because of what they um, did to me, so says the Lord God. So you have an interesting thing here where we see how so many things that God is trying to accomplish, so to speak, to the extent that we know God's reasons for things. On the one hand, he wants to make the soldiers in the, the army happy. It's important that Nebuchadnezzar has a strong army. He also wants to punish Egypt for the reasons which he described. He's also teaching Israel a lesson not to rely uh, on Egypt. All of these lessons are all happening and they're all being accomplished by one thing, which is this battle between Babylon and Egypt. So now, the last verse of the chapter we're about to read, Bayomahu on that day, so we're imagining now, we're talking about the day that Nebuchadnezzar conquers Egypt. Now remember, this, that, this didn't really fully happen. Nebuchadnezzar did beat Egypt in battle, but he didn't conquer Egypt in battle. The conquering of Egypt didn't happen until the days of the Persians, who later on took over from the Babylonians. So, but on that day, God says something here that sounds a little strange, but I'll tell you what I think. Atzmiach keren levet Israel. I am going to um, sprout forth the horn, which generally means the horn of, of, of success, the horn of, of, of future salvation for the house of Israel. Ulucha, and to you, Ezekiel, the prophet, etain pitchon pebetocham. You will finally, your voice will be heard among them. Presumably because people will see that your predictions have come true. Now all the commentaries jump on this. They say, what do you mean? On that day when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Egypt, nothing great happened to the Jews. They were still stuck in Babylon in exile for the next uh, 50 to 70 years at least. <clears throat> it's not like no Messiah showed up at this time. Nothing really happened. But we do see here in this verse the hint of what this means. Atzmiach keren means I planted the seed. It started to sprout. And what does that mean? The, the beginning of the end of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army was when he became spent at the hands of this battle against Egypt. And 
the people, is the real hint. The people started to recognize the, va- the value of what the prophet was saying. They finally saw that the prophet's prophecies are true, that it's real, and his lessons are true and real. And when they started to internalize the lessons that the prophet was trying to teach, that is when the sprout of the salvation was starting to grow. When people saw, oh, so Ezekiel knows what he's talking about. Ezekiel's message has meaning. It has purpose. They started to internalize that message. And then that's Atzmiach Karen Levait Yisrael. That's when the beginning of the salvation was, even if it didn't actually happen politically until 50 to 70 years later. Thank you so much for studying Ezekiel 29. Looking forward to studying Ezekiel 30 and the rest of the chapters of Ezekiel together.